Welcome to a special Invest Talk bonus program, the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Typically, each day, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein receive more new voice bank questions than they can fit into a live show format. So, in this bonus program, caller questions will be served up and answered with brief but helpful responses from Steve or Justin. Please tell your friends about Invest Talk and remember that the Anytime Listener lines never close. 888-99 Chart. Hello and thank you for downloading this Invest Talk podcast. I'm Justin Klein. This is our first Rapid Fire Hour podcast of 2021. Now we've been tracking our podcast download numbers and they've increased basically every month. This is very exciting, and as you can imagine, more listeners results in more live show callers, and also a greater number of voice bank questions. So we're dedicating this show to your pre-recorded caller questions. The calls that came in earlier on 888 chart now will provide as many answers as possible in this bonus podcast. One note, this show will not take stock questions. Instead, we're concentrating on market process questions and a wider range of finance questions, which came in earlier. Let's get started. Hey, Steve. Just started listening to the show. I'm a huge fan already. Just wanted to ask you a question. So I'm a college finance student in Southern California. I noticed our professors have us use Yahoo Finance for a lot of the stock information. And in using Yahoo Finance, I found a lot of stocks that have projections of being 300% gains for the next year and more. So I'm wondering, why not just invest in these stocks? If this is you know the best information out there, why not invest in? And the stocks that are projected to go up huge. Thanks so much. Well, first off, Yahoo Finance isn't a great source of information on a lot of stocks. I've seen a lot of uh, data that is is not correct there. So I would try to source go to better sources. Uh, I think Morningstar is, is a great place for that. Uh, but there's also a lot of subscription services that are going to be uh, more consistent. So I would I would be in search of that. Second off, what they're touting of what potential upside is in uh, those particular companies just simply based on an algorithm. Uh, and that data in is is just data. It's just an algorithm. Okay, uh, It's no guarantee of anything. Uh, it's no guarantee that that algorithm even works. How do you even know? It's just Yahoo Finance, right? Um, so uh, you're trying to oversimplify, which is common uh, you know especially you're a newer investor uh, a lot of new investors try to oversimplify the investment process and uh, in some ways that can be good but you need to test the simplification and you have to understand that different markets uh, different things work different strategies work and you need to understand that as well because one strategy based on a very simple simple strategy, can work well one year and not work at all the next year. Um, so understand this is not a game that can just be simplified and, and handled uh, successfully in one way, uh, in a simple way, forever. Otherwise, everyone would just do it. So I encourage you to find better information and don't just lean 
on some arbitrary algorithm. Now this InvestTalk Rapid Fire Hour is packed with process and strategy questions. So let's keep moving. Yes, hi, Stephen, Justin. My name is Serafi. I'm calling from Ohio. I've been a listener for the past six months, and you guys have been instrumental in my quest to become financially literate. My question is about dollar cost averaging for a portfolio of individual stocks. I have already maxed out all my retirement accounts, consisting of mutual funds. In June, I opened a taxable account with 30K, and I've been adding 2K a month. I am somewhat okay with the fundamental analysis, so I now have 16 well-diversified, stable growth and value stocks that are not in any of my mutual funds. My plan is to hold 18 to 20 for long term. Almost all of my positions have appreciated, so when I put more, my average cost basis goes up. Would that be okay if I just keep on working in positions that have at least a 25% safety margin based on discounted cash flow or target price? Not that I'm good at it, but are there simple technical indicators to guide me? Thank you very much, and I'll wait for your answer on the podcast. Well, I like that you're looking at discounted cash flow models and trying to value uh, these names. Now, you said you have about 16 names. I like that you they don't overlap with a lot of the holdings within your mutual funds, so giving you broader diversification. Uh, I would try to do, expand that out to somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 names. It's about what you would need to get good diversification. And I would focus more on the underlying business. If you have a long-term time horizon, certainly valuation is going to be important. But what's going to be even more important is investing in good, consistent companies that have good cash flows, hopefully maybe some dividends in a lot of them, uh, and monitor their businesses more than anything. Uh, and certainly, if you're dollar cost averaging over time, uh, finding the ones that uh, maybe are down a bit, uh, but their long-term business prospects remain intact, you know, you want to add to those at that time. And that's probably the strategy that, that I, would, I would have. That's similar to how we manage money for our clients as well. So uh, it, it's really going to be more about monitoring those 25, 30 different businesses and making sure that your long-term thesis about that business remains intact. This is a special Invest Talk podcast bonus show. We call it the Rapid Fire Hour. Here comes another question. This time from a listener in Colorado. Hi, guys. Raquel from Denver here. Uh, new listener and really enjoying learning more about investing. So thanks for that. I have a question. I lived overseas in Australia and left a decent chunk of money there in a bank account and a retirement account. Right now, with the exchange, I would lose 25% if I exchange to U.S. dollars from Aussie dollars. And I don't know if I could invest there or what I should do. Any tips would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, I, we hear this from time to time. Now, we're not international tax accountants, so uh, you, you're probably going to have to find this information elsewhere. Uh, I'm not sure what the rules are on uh, repatriating those money, that money from Australia to the U.S., so I, I, I would go to another source for that. Uh, but I wouldn't look at what you would lose, right, by translating that back into dollars. Now, the dollar's down a bit, um, so hopefully that's improved recently compared to the Australian dollar. 
but I would think of it more of what is my opportunity cost? What am I invested in over there? Uh, can I do better over here? Will it grow better over here? Uh, and trying to get that money back in. So uh, I know a lot of people incorrectly try to get back to even, right? They, they don't want to take that loss or you'll feel like it was a loss. Uh, so don't think of it that way. Think of the opportunity cost of being able to invest in here in the U.S. in and have more control over those assets as well. So good luck in getting those assets moved over. Next up, an Invest Talk caller question asking about mortgages. Hey, Steve. Hey, Justin. My name is Khalil. I've been listening to you guys a little bit over a year now, and I have a couple of questions. So I am 24. I'm about to turn 25 this coming July, and I've kind of listened to everything you guys said. I kind of spread my money around. I don't leave it at just one sector. A question for you. So my girlfriend, we've been getting a little serious now. It's been over three years, so I am thinking about popping a question, and she has a daughter. So I am thinking about purchasing a home. Even though I don't necessarily need to purchase a home, I just think you'd be a little bit of a better investment instead of me throwing the money into renting. So I want to see what you guys would think. If that if it's better for me to go ahead and just do as I say, get a 15-year mortgage or get a 30-year mortgage, throw a little bit more money um, uh, towards transfer, especially since I'm a little younger. I don't have too, too many um, uh, things that I have to worry about right here financially. And I'm in sales, so I'm getting 80 to 100K this past three years. Hopefully, it's still going to be the same. So just a, a couple of questions for you guys. And thank you so, so much. I appreciate all your help throughout the years. Uh, and have a great day and happy new year, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. I love this question and congratulations on, on your success. Hopefully it works out uh, with, with your girlfriend and uh, your question about buying a home. This is something that a lot of people are struggling with uh, in this time. Should I buy a home? You know, prices are up, rates are down. How do, how do I handle this? And the first thing I always say is, what is the utility? Focus less on the monetary aspect, the investment aspect, and focus more on the utility. Uh, do you want to move? Do you think you will move in the next three, five years? Okay. If you do, then I probably would say, don't buy a home. You know, if you're going to move out of the area, for example, uh, if you think you're going to stay in that area for a long period of time, then you have to say, okay. What type of home do I want? What's going to make sense for myself, my family, our lifestyle? And what's going to make me the happiest? Uh, you know, within reason. Obviously, everyone wants a big house, probably. But you have to ask yourself that. And then you say, okay, let's go buy something that we can afford. And then you make that decision. And yes, the money will go towards, towards equity. But what you also have to understand is that if you aren't renting... Right, you go buy a home and you're not renting and you're borrowing money. Well, you're renting money, right? There's a cost to that money, even though the the cost of that money is relatively cheap now, or at roughly three percent mortgage rate. That is something that is still money lost, right? Just like a rent payment is as well. So don't think that it's a clear cut buy versus rent decision. It's more of utility. And think of it that way. And uh, if you can afford it, fantastic. Focus on the utility of that particular home. Now, I don't think a week ever goes by without a listener calling to ask about Roth IRAs. 
Hi, my name is Aaron. Uh, I just started recently listening to your podcast, and I just had a, a question regarding a Roth IRA. I just opened my, my first account for Roth IRA, and I'm wondering kind of where I should start investing some of my money to start out with. Uh, any tips or stocks that I should be looking at investing would be much appreciated. Thanks. Now, I can't give you a stock recommendation or some sort of investment recommendation. I have to know your, in SEC terms, we have to know our client. We have to know what type of risk tolerance you have, what your ultimate goals are. Uh, and so that's what you have to ask yourself, right? Uh, are you an aggressive investor? Are you more conservative? How much knowledge do you have about the investment world? If you're, if you're pretty new, it sounds like you're pretty new, then you probably want to focus on doing more research and less action. Uh, now, it might be a small dollar amount, and I think a small dollar amount is a good time to learn some lessons by buying individual stocks. Uh, I know some people, maybe Steve, might have a different philosophy on this, buying uh, an overall index and gives you broad diversification. And I think that in some ways that's true if you have a lot of money and uh, you don't want to make a, a really bad decision with it, I think that broad diversification can make sense. But if you're new to the game, you don't have a lot of money and you're trying to learn, this is something you want to get more financially literate about, I would invest it in companies that you know, individual companies, as long as you have high risk tolerance level. Uh, and then you can start to research that company, understand the company, listen to conference calls, read research reports, start to learn the process of analyzing individual investments and individual companies. So that's what I would do, okay, if I were you as a new investor with a Roth IRA. Now, please tell your friends about Invest Talk and this Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour bonus show. We're moving at a faster pace. And now, here comes another listener question, this time from New Jersey. Hey, Steve and Justin. My name is Tofik. I'm calling from North Plainfield, New Jersey. I had a question regarding transferring my positions, if possible, from Robinhood to want to move on to something better, maybe Schwab. If you can tell me how I can do that, if there's a way to you know, transfer my positions. If not, what are some things that I need to watch out for as far as you know, maybe capital gains, taxes, or anything like that goes? Love your podcast. Thank you for your help. This is a great question. It's actually something I wanted to talk about on air because I have a friend who's uh, pretty green to the investment world. He trades on Robinhood, and you know, they, they I have friends that lob me investment questions on a regular basis. And uh, he sent me a screenshot of something, and I said, I said, why are you at Robinhood? Why aren't you transferring? He said, well, I don't want to pay the taxes. And I think this is something I didn't understand that a lot of people don't know is that. Just because you move brokers does not mean that you have to pay taxes on the individual securities on a you know a, a taxable brokerage account. What the industry standard is is you submit what is called an ACAT transfer form, right? You open up an account. This is what we do with clients all the time: is we help them open an account. We use TD Ameritrade as our broker, but this applies to any of the major brokerage firms. And they submit what is called an ACAT transfer form, which has the uh, information on the the counter broker, right, where the assets are being held currently with the account number. And then the, it's up to that broker to deliver the funds, the 
cash as well as the securities within the account, whether that's ETFs, mutual funds, individual stocks, bonds, etc., to that new brokerage firm. And they also deliver the cost base to say, hey, this is what it was bought at, and so that the new broker also knows the cost basis as well. Uh, and then for any tax reporting, they know how to report to the IRS, hey, this was purchased at this price, sold at this price, etc. So there's no tax consequences at all. The assets just move in kind over to that new brokerage firm. So don't worry, Schwab or TD or Fidelity, whoever you're opening that account with is going to help you walk you through that process and they'll submit that on your behalf the same way we do uh, for our clients. So uh, don't think that you have to automatically take capital gains because you move from one brokerage firm to another. And I always encourage everybody to move out of Robinhood into a bigger, bigger brokerage firm. Now stay there. Keep your volume pumped. Next up, we will take a question from Colorado. You are listening to a special Invest Talk bonus program, the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Caller questions are being answered with brief but unbiased and helpful responses from Steve or Justin. Hi, Steve and Justin. My name is Todd in Colorado, six month listener here. Love the show. So sorry to hear about Jerry. He sure sounds like a legend. Uh, I have a question about where to store holdings for stock buying and investing. I have an IRA, but it's maxed for the year. Is it wise or even legal to have several IRA accounts? Or what is the best way to set up accounts to invest from? Also, I'd love to hear some of Jerry's radio broadcasts. Uh, I was seeing if they're available in some kind of format, uh, vintage format or what have you. Uh, anyway, appreciate everything you guys do. Love the show, and I look forward to hearing the answer. Have a good one. Well, thank you for the kind words about my uh, my grandfather, Jerry. We are working on uh, getting some of that old uh, audio tape. Hopefully, we'll get to you some soon. Uh, but when it comes to IRAs, you can hold as many IRAs as you want. There's no limit. There's nothing illegal about having multiple IRAs. You can have different brokerage firms, same brokerage firm. Well, that doesn't really make a whole, whole lot of sense, but uh, you can certainly do that. It's about the IRA contributions. That's what matters is how much money. And you can put, you can have six IRAs and put a thousand each every year for your $6,000 annual contribution. So, if you have extra money, though, I would be putting, you could, you could make non-deductible IRA contributions. That is something you can do. It becomes a, a little trickier to track, right? Because you have to make sure that the IRS knows that, that there's money in there. So when you take it out, that it's not taxed, etc. cetera. Uh, but uh, you can also put that into uh, a regular brokerage account uh, and invest it that way. So no, there's nothing that prevents you from having multiple IRAs. It's definitely not illegal. It's just about the money that goes in. I'm Justin Klein, and I thank you for downloading this Invest Talk podcast bonus show. In this segment, I am focusing solely on caller questions, which we are retrieving from our voice bank. Our anytime listener line never closes, so when you have a finance or investment question, call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin. This is Ray. My strategy is to get in to the stock when it's low and at the dip, and then um, 
sell it when it's high. I know it's not something that uh, people like. I mean, uh, you guys agree with that. But I'm doing okay. I'm doing better than what I was expecting. 75% of the time I'm doing good. So I was wondering, uh, is there anything wrong with this strategy? That's a conversation between me and my wife. She's buy and hold type. I'm not. So I was wondering, what would you think about that? Thank you. Well, your strategy is basically buy the dip. Uh, And in a bull market, that works perfectly fine, right? Because every dip gets bought. And frankly, investors have been conditioned to invest this way, right? Because uh, any dip, any major dip, the Fed will come in and kind of stimulate the economy. Now it's the government coming in and stimulate the economy uh, and getting money into uh, the hands of, of people and investors and companies. And so that's simply the market environment we're in. Now in a bear market, buying the dip does not work, right? Because every dip may get bought, but guess what? That rally gets sold and then it goes lower and lower. And so you're doing well because it works in an up environment, in a bull market environment. And so don't confuse your success with something that is going to work forever. It will work as long as we are in a bull market. And like I said earlier, different market environments, different strategies work. This is a buy and hold, so this is a buy the dip type of market, and that's why you are successful today. Here comes another one from our perpetual how-to questions. Hey, Stephen Justin. I have been investing for a little bit, but most of my investing is done through ETFs, and I'm kind of wanting to move towards and get used to investing in individual companies, but I'm not sure how to efficiently kind of look up the information on these companies. It sounds like you guys have some sort of a program that I assume you pay for that allows you to look up, you know, the earnings per share and all that very quickly, but I was wondering if you guys would have any recommendations for maybe a free sort of program that someone that like me could use to look up this information. Any help from you guys would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. All right. Now, I think the best free one is called Finviz, F-I-N-V-I-Z.com. It's a great website where you can uh, search different companies and uh, get a lot of information, charts, etc. Now, the information is not always perfect. So anything free, you always have to make sure you double check the data and uh, make sure you're not relying on one particular source of free information. So understand that. Uh, Yeah, we have also a a lot of paid databases that we use in order to uh, make sure our data is correct. Morningstar is another great source. Now, there's a premium version of Morningstar that we subscribe to that we think is great, but there are a lot of free tools as well on there. So either one of those is a good place to start and make sure that you try to gather a bunch of information and sources to confirm. Okay. This is a special Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour podcast. Next up, a question from Florida. Hey, Steve, Justin, this is Vince from Orlando. Just wanted to get some more information on HSA health savings accounts. Someone told me it was like one of the only ways to have tax-free money. I understand that you can input up to a certain amount per year, and then you take the money out to use it on medical expenses, it's still tax-free. So I had a question, if you get to the end of the road, say you're age 65, 70, you got a million plus in your HSA, and you realize like, all right, I'm not going to use this money for health stuff, say you want to pull some of that money out and buy a car or whatever you have, do you get taxed on it then? 
how does it work? Say you, you have to provide backup as evidence, like, hey, I purchased some health care or I had a health medical expense and I needed to use this money. Just want some more information on HSAs if you can provide that. Thanks. Great question. Yes, HSAs are uh, another fantastic way to save money for retirement. And even though it's called the health savings account and under the age of 65, you need to use that money towards health care and uh, it's tax deferred, uh, tax free, etc. You can pay money for insurance, prescription, vision expenses, dental care, etc. All that is, are, are eligible for HSA spending. And then when you get after the age of 65, the funds can be withdrawn for any purpose without penalty, but they are subject to income tax if used for, if not used for IRS qualified medical expenses. So uh, you can still use it for medical expenses, tax-free, but any money taken out of that, it's kind of like an IRA, right? Where you, when you take the money out, you're taxed as income in that sense. So great question about HSAs, very similar to 401ks, but you know the money can be used penalty tax-free for health expenses before age 65 and anything else after 65 that's taken out for, it becomes income to you. Okay, next we pivot to bonds. Here comes a caller question from Stockton, California. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Jason from Stockton, California. And I've been investing for a time in equities and in Forex, and I've started venturing into futures. But I wanted to ask you about bonds. And I'm just wondering, why would somebody choose to invest in bonds? And I guess the second part of that question would be, how do you know whether you should hold the bond to maturity or whether you should sell the bond early? And why would somebody do one of those things? Hope to hear your answer. Thank you. Bye. Well, bonds are safer, really. And you're talking about forex and equities and all that. Those are volatile, very volatile. And uh, most people who are investing in bonds aren't looking for volatility. They just want that consistent income. They don't have to want to worry about big market moves and gyrations. They just want to earn their coupon. Now, if you own a bond and you're trying to think of whether you should hold it to maturity, you have to ask yourself what is the alternative use of that cash if you do sell it, right? Uh, can you reinvest it in a different type of bond at a higher yield or a better yield? Do you want to take more duration risk or more credit risk potentially or less, right? What is the spread on the bond? Bonds t tend to trade at pretty decent spreads depending on the, the company and then the bond issue. And so you might have to take a little bit of a bath, maybe 1% or so, uh, to get out of that particular position. Uh, so how big is that spread? Is it worth it? especially if the bond might mature in the near term. So there's a lot of factors to go, that go into deciding whether you should hold a bond or sell a bond. Uh, it's really about your overall goals with that money uh, and your overall portfolio as well. This is Talk, and you are listening to a bonus podcast. We call it the Rapid Fire Hour. Let's go straight back to the Investock Voice Bank at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen, Justin. Just want to say thank you very much for the podcast. I really enjoy the show and everything that I've learned. I have a quick question about value stocks and growth stocks. So recently we have noticed that bond yields have risen because of inflation expectations. And I still think that inflation expectations will continue to rise. So if that happens, I, I believe that the bond yields will rise. And if that happens, how would that affect growth stocks? And then how would that affect value stocks? 
Thank you very much. I really appreciate it and hope to hear the answer on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Well, the answer to higher bond yields and how it affects different companies comes back to a discounted cash flow method. That's how on Wall Street and most of finance assets are valued, right? You take the current value of future cash flows and those future cash flows are discounted by what's called the discount rate. And in finance, that is typically the 10-year treasury rate. Right now, it's at 1.16. Last summer, it was at about 0.5%. And as that goes up, those future cash flows are discounted at a higher rate, which means today they're worth less. Okay, So that's the basics of what a discounted cash flow method is. Now, in, in growth stocks and companies that are expected to grow a lot over the next 5, 10 years, the future cash flows that are expected are valued very highly today when interest rates are low, right? Because you're only disc, you're discounting high growth, high numbers in the, in the, in the far away future by a small amount each and every year. And therefore today's value of those large future cash flows is very high. But when interest rates go up, suddenly the value of current value of those longer dated cash flows decline. And so, if interest rates do continue to go up because inflation goes up, you're going to see multiples on these growth names come down. You're already starting to see that to some extent, some uh, lower momentum in a lot of these names, some consolidation, uh, some of them making lower highs. And on the value side, the market's not expecting big high returns or high growth for these type of companies. They tend to be uh, lower growth. They grow tend to be with the overall economy, you know, three, five, 10% a year. Uh, and those future cash flows aren't expected to be a whole lot higher than they are today. So those changes in interest rates don't affect them very much. On top of that, if inflation picks up, oftentimes a lot of those value names are commodity names, right? So their businesses in the near term are also going to do much, much better in a higher inflationary environment. So I hope that unpacked it for you. It's certainly a complex topic, but hopefully that distilled it down as simple, simply as they possibly can, and hopefully you could digest it. I'm Justin Klein. I thank you for listening to this special Invest Talk bonus podcast. Please tell your friends about our program and our website, investtalk.com. Remember, our philosophy at KPP Financial is independent thinking and shared success. You can learn more about our unbiased guidance and the variety of our investment programs at investtalk.com. And next, Steve Peasley comes to the Invest Talk microphone to take a swing at your questions. Let's say. You've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You are listening to a special InvestTalk bonus program, the InvestTalk Rapid Fire Hour. Caller questions are being answered with brief, but unbiased and helpful responses from Steve or Justin. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Steve Peasley, and we're going to do a rapid-fire section uh, on Invest Talk here. Uh, we're going to take your caller questions that we've been not been able to get to on air and answer questions as fast as we can so we can get through them. So here's the first question. Hey, Steve and Justin, I got a question that probably some other people dealing with. I got a Chinese stock on my TD Ameritrade account. It went to zero or shows zero. Still have the shares there. But I called them and they said uh, if I transfer them to an out-of-country brokerage, I might be able to trade them. Um, do you know of an out-of-country brokerage that someone can trust, or do you think that that executive order would get reversed when Biden gets in office there and just ought to hang on and wait, see what happens there. Thanks a lot for any information. Love the show. Bye. So he's referring to Chinese stocks that were delisted, delisted from our exchanges by President Trump. Uh, and so when they get delisted, doesn't mean the company's gone bankrupt. It just means that you can't trade them on our exchanges. If you have a large enough custodian that will have like Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan. They'll have foreign branches, and you could probably sell it through that company. So 
give them a call. Find out. And I wouldn't sell it just, I wouldn't get rid of it just because they're delisted. I think they might get relisted at some point with a new president. Okay, next question. We, as I said, we're going through these as fast as we can, so let's keep moving. Hey, Steve, Justin. This is John here in the Pacific Northwest. Got a quick question for you. I, uh, filing my taxes, I made over 75000 last year. So with the stimulus coming out, should I hold off to file my taxes so I can get some of that stimulus money? I also heard that they might be changing it to where people that made over 75000 might be getting maybe partial of the stimulus instead of zero. If you could answer a question, I'll be uh, listening to it on the podcast. Thanks. Bye. Okay, I haven't, I've been trying to keep up with this changing target all the time about the stimulus package. It doesn't, it, I don't think you should postpone you filing taxes. I don't think it's going to make a big difference. I think you're going to get the money anyways. So unless you're in a, you know, unless you're not in a big hurry, you don't need, I wait till the last minute myself because I always underpay taxes at the end of the year and don't get a refund. So if you're going to get a refund, I would do it sooner because that's your money. If you're not, I'd wait till April 15th. This is a special Rapid Fire Investor podcast. Next question comes from Montana. Hello, uh, this is Tori from Bozeman, Montana. I'm calling to ask about a refinance that I'm currently in the middle of. So I'm refinancing a rental property that I own. And I was wondering, because I do have a good bit of equity in that property, and I haven't quite been maximizing my, my Roth contribution every year, so... Would it be smart to take some of that equity out of my house and actually just put it into my Roth IRA where I feel like it can make better returns and possibly beat what my home might be able to bring in terms of equity in the future? Uh, look forward to hearing your answer. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, normally I would say no. Don't take the equity out of your house, but but just contribute new money to the Roth. But with interest rates so very low, uh, you can borrow money against the house you live in at you know two and a half percent or so. Uh, that might be smart to borrow the money. Remember, it's always the best use of the money. What's the best use? I can make more than two and a half pretty confidently uh, in the market, conservatively, conservatively investing. So would it be, and, and I still get the 2.5% plus write-off, uh, uh, mortgage write-off. Now, you're talking about a rental property. I would borrow against your own personal property if you have equity in there because when you refinance that, you'll get your lowest rates. So, yeah, I think that might be a good idea in this environment. This is Talk, and we often receive IPO questions. Hey, Stephen, Justin. This is Vamsi calling from DC area. Love your show. Been listening to the show over a year now. I had a question regarding the IPOs. I am really interested in a few of the companies which are planning to go public this year. And I've been tracking a few last year. By the time I would wanted to invest in it, the stock or the share price doubles. And then there is a lot of volatility. So the share never really sells at the price that they intend to sell. It always jumps way high than I expect. So is there a way to get 
to that pool of pre-IPO uh, where I can buy before it becomes pub- public. Thank you. Okay, so an IPO, initial public offering, very often spikes when it first comes out. And if it does, you're not ever going to get it at the offering price because that's a hot IPO and many of those are, you know, they only the big institutions get those prices. You're never going to get them. If you ever get offered an IPO at the IPO offering price, that means it's not a very good IPO. Don't do it. Don't do it. Can you buy companies before they become IPO? Yeah, you can invest in. You can invest in companies. Many times they have investment rounds of smaller companies, but they're very, very high risk. So you're probably not going to get to any of them. Next, we pivot from IPOs to automation stocks. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Vince from Orlando. Uh, I know you guys aren't allowed to uh, recommend specific stocks, but I was wondering if you can bat off a few stocks in the automation space that you see that could have good growth potential in the coming years as automation becomes more prevalent. Thanks. Love the show. We were talking about recently in the office, what's the next big thing coming down the road? And to me, it's pretty obvious. It's electric cars. It's clean energy. It's pretty obvious to me where the next big thing. On electric cars, you're not going to buy the car companies, but you know, you got to buy the technology, the new technology coming out on those electric cars. And that would be batteries or software or some kind of general, you know, charging stations, you know, something along those lines. I think that's the next big thing coming. Uh, so that's where I would look. And then clean energy, it's a little bit more difficult, but you can buy energy companies that are putting a lot of money, a lot of research and development money into new technologies, uh, like thermal generation of electricity, which I talked to on a recent show. So that's what I would do. You probably know that we receive Talk listener questions from all across America and sometimes across the world. This next question comes from New York. Hi, this is Duncan from New York. This is my, I think, third question. And for anybody that's listening, these guys do a great job responding within a couple of days. My question is, you keep on mentioning about pullbacks. What exactly do you mean by pullbacks? For example, what type of percentage are you looking for for small cap, for mid cap, and for large cap? And hopefully, if you guys have time, Exactly what is a good P.E. ratio that we should look for when we are thinking about investing in the stock? Thank you very much, and have a great day. Bye. Well, those are pretty difficult questions there, to be honest. Um, a pullback of the S&P 500 of 10% is normal, okay? Now, for a small cap, usually it's a bigger percentage. For a large cap, I mean, the big blue chip stocks, usually it's a smaller percentage. But a pullback would be normally 10%. But you can have them 5%. You can have them 20%. Anything over 20% is called a bear market. So that's what the pullbacks mean. Let's go ahead and move on to the next question. This is a special Invest Talk podcast bonus show. We call it the Rapid Fire Hour. As you can tell, I'm moving at a faster pace. My objective is to provide solid answers and unbiased guidance and get to as many listener questions as possible. So let's keep going. Hey, good morning. Just wanted to say I love the show. Quick question for you. Hypothetically, if I had $2,000 and four choice ETFs to evenly break that money into, which four ETFs would you choose for 2021? Thank you. Have a good one. 
Well, I definitely would make uh, uh, part of that uh, commodities play that I think uh, commodity prices are going to go up in 2021. I think I would also put a portion in the S&P 500, a portion in the NASDAQ, okay, to give you some technology exposure in the NASDAQ and overall exposure in the S&P 500, commodities, and maybe a smaller portion in precious metals. That's what I'd probably do for this year. 888-99 chart. As you know, this is a special broadcast, so we're ready to answer all your questions. We go to Southern California. Hi, my name is Sarah from Irvine. And I had a question about backdoor Roth IRA account. Uh, my husband and I, our income is too high for a Roth IRA. And I was wondering when a backdoor Roth IRA made sense and what the tax benefits and tax liabilities are. Thank you so much for your content. I love the podcast. Okay, well, this is a pretty difficult question because it's specific to a person and a family situation. So do you have a 401k? Are you maxing that out too? Do you have a regular IRA and a Roth IRA? And are you putting money in both of those? A backdoor uh, a backdoor Roth IRA is where you take it out of the regular IRA and put it into the Roth. And what's benefit about that? Because when you move it, you can move bigger chunks of money than you can invest in so any IRA any one year. And also, in a Roth, the money grows tax-free, whereas a regular IRA, all that money is going to be taxed as you withdraw it. So it's very specific to the people involved. So I can't just give you an overall answer whether it's good for you or not good for you. We often get questions from folks who are new to investing. These come in at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. Thank you guys for your show. You know, it's very helpful. I have a general question. I'm young, starting to build my portfolio and just investing every month. And from everything I've learned so far, it says that you really shouldn't try to time the market and that you should just invest steadily. You guys are always saying wait for a correction or a pullback. So I'm just wondering, for someone who just invests every month, should you accumulate cash and then wait for those pullbacks and corrections in the market before investing? Or should you just invest no matter where the market is at the same time every month? I look forward to your answer on the podcast. Thank you. If you are disciplined, you can invest every month a dollar cost average approach. When I say discipline, I mean keep doing it when the market falls. Don't stop. And in fact, put more money in the market when it falls, not less, more. That takes a lot of discipline and courage. Now, should you wait for a pullback in the market? Well, we had a 37% pullback last year. No one knows when the next one's coming. That was actually a bear market. No one knows when the next one's coming. I can't tell you. Ideally, you wait for a pullback, ideally, but no one knows when that's coming. If you're young, just invest consistently over time and not worry about timing the market because it's impossible to do. I'm Steve Peasley, and please remember that our listener line is never, never closed. You are listening to a special Invest Talk bonus program, the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Typically, in a 24-hour period, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein receive more new voice bank questions than they can fit into a live show format. So, in this bonus program, caller questions are being answered with brief, 
but unbiased and helpful responses from Steve or Justin. Let's keep moving. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Owen from Redding, California. I'm calling to ask on your opinion about the EV sector. I've been watching it for a while now, and I've been wanting to get some exposure to it, but it seems overpriced. So I've been watching Xping, Neo, Tesla, Nikola, and all the stocks seem either way overpriced to me, or they seem like they're not a very good stock. So I was just wondering if you know of a cheaper stock that has a future that is in the EV market that's not so overpriced or overbought right now. Or if you are looking at a certain stock and you're looking for a drawback, thanks, and I'll be listening on the podcast. Now, of course, we cannot just bring up companies and tell you to invest in them. Now, the one, the SEC wouldn't let us. But don't just look at, when you're talking about the electric vehicle market, don't just look at the car companies. Look at where parts, what parts do they get those from? What, the parts in that car come from somewhere. They don't make them all. I mean, you know, so... Look deeper. Uh, and the technology that's really changing and a lot of money's being poured into it is the electric vehicle. And the electric vehicle industry is batteries. And that's why I suggest you look. So you, remember, Volkswagen said all their cars are going to go electric in the next few years. Well, that's a lot of batteries being produced by somebody. So widen your view. That's what I would say. And, you know, the big car companies also are going to go electric. Volkswagen, GM. GM just got the, recently their price upgraded by some analysts because of the electric vehicles that they're coming out with. So think more globally. Here's another category that interests our Invest Talk listeners, cryptocurrency. Hey, Stephen, Justin, Damien from New York here. I just had a question for new investors for 2021. What stocks do you think are good to start off with and what do you have on cryptocurrency starting off thank you for most people i would say stay away from cryptocurrencies no one knows where they're going to go there's no way to evaluate it you know there's no way to know that for instance uh, uh how much it's worth how do you know how much a cryptocurrency worth what do you base that on there's nothing you can base it on they're very new it's just impossible. So I would stay away from cryptocurrencies. And new technologies, as I said earlier in another question, I think you need to look at uh, electric vehicles. Uh, you got need to look at maybe precious metals for this year, uh, maybe uh, commodities of all kinds. You know, think in those kinds of terms. Next up, we transition from crypto to cannabis. Hi, Steve. Hi, Justin. This is Ed Bravo. I uh, really like the show. I really appreciate you guys and all the uh, information you guys share. What are your thoughts on these cannabis companies investing in them? Thank you for your time. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Well, I do think cannabis is another area of uh, future investments because, you know, that area is just growing, growing very fast. And there's a lot of uh, merger and acquisitions going on in that industry. So you're going to have to be careful where you are and try to pick one of those companies that are going to be acquired because they usually jump up when that happens. Okay, here comes an either-or question. Hey, Steve. Hey, Justin. Just a quick question. This is Shelly from D.C. area. When we're looking at stocks 
that trade and we see where they trade, the venue, whether it's on an exchange or OTC, what's the difference between the two? I mean, I have an idea. I know what an exchange is, but in other words, does it matter to us? Should we look into that and be exchanges OTC or on the exchange? Anything we should look for and why does it matter? Thanks. Does it matter if it's on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange? These are just different stock exchanges. It used to be a Pacific Stock Exchange. These are just different companies where you can exchange trades, exchange stocks with other people at certain price. Does it matter to you what exchange the stock is on? Not really. Not really. You, it matters to you the liquidity of that stock on the exchange, that there's enough stocks being traded on that exchange, and the spread between the bid and the ask uh, is is small. Those are the kinds of things you worry about. So no, it really does not matter what exchange it is on. This is a special Investop podcast bonus show we call the Rapid Fire Hour. Here comes another question, this time from a listener in Chicago. Hi, gents. How's it going? My name is Raphael from Chicago. Just had a question about my Roth IRA. I'm trying to see how many stocks I should have on my portfolio. Right now, I have quite a few. I have about 20, 25, it's only about $20,000. So I've seen some kind of mild gains on some, some mild losses, but I'm just trying to find the sweet spot on how many stocks I should really have. Thanks. Bye. You're right in that sweet spot. Uh, no less than 15, no more than about 30, 35. No more than 5% of your portfolio in any one stock when you buy it. We use 3%. That means 33 stocks, basically. Um, it depends on how, if you can keep track of them. So you're kind of right there in that 20 stocks. But what you got to do is make sure it's like not 10% in this stock and 1% in that stock. No, they need to be, when you buy them, you kind of want to be even. Okay, equal amounts in each one. And then you just rebalance as time goes off because you're going to have, uh, goes on because you're going to have winners and losers, obviously, but you rebalance every so often. Next, we pivot from the Midwest to the Hawaiian Islands. Hey, Justin, how's it going? This is Danny from Hawaii, um, long-time listener. I appreciate everything you guys do for everyone, um, all the advice you give. I'm more of a trader than an investor, and I like to buy and sell within a couple-month period. So I'm interested to know, can you explain the process of when a news catalyst comes out or news drops on a stock, and then the stock price skyrockets? What exactly is happening right there to cause the stock price to move so fast, so high? And is there a way of knowing when that's drying up and when it's about to come back down and retrace by watching any type of indicator or volume? Or, or is there something that you can tell when, you know, you get to a top in a candle or something? I'm just wondering if you have any advice for that. That would be amazing. Thanks again for everything you guys do. Hope to hear the answer on the show. Thank you. Well, if you're a trader, I would really strongly suggest you learn uh, technical analysis, which means reading a chart. And in specific to your question, I would suggest you take a look at the Fibonacci retracement numbers. Fibonacci was a mathematician, 1,500 or so, and there was natural retracement of numbers up and down in certain percentages, and that would be something that would help you. It doesn't always come true. Charting is not a science. It's more of an art. But uh, learning charting will help you as a trader. So that's what I would suggest. I'm Steve Peasley, and this is Investoc. I wish I had a dollar for every time this next question came in. Hi, my name is Jeremiah. I'm new to investing, and 
I really would like to get into it more, and I'm not a rich person. I'm a carpenter apprentice, and just got a couple extra bucks, maybe $500. Just wondering, you know, a good start that I can go to and, you know, something that can get my portfolio uh, started. All right, thank you. The easiest way and the smartest way is using the exchange-traded fund, using the indexes. That way you don't have to pick individual stocks, but that's much more difficult, much more time-consuming. So I would suggest maybe splitting that $500 maybe with the uh, S&P 500, with SPY as the symbol, and the QQQs, which is the NASDAQ 100. So you have 100 uh, NASDAQ stocks with a lot of technology stocks, and you'd have 500 of the largest companies in the S&P 500. That's where I would invest if I was a brand new person into the market. Now let's go back to the voice bank for a question from Wisconsin. Hello, Steve or Justin. This is Nathan from Wisconsin. Love your show. I'm becoming a longtime listener. So I have a question. I'm looking to start a portfolio of individual stocks by selling my ETFs. I use TD Ameritrade for my trading platform, and this is within an IRA. So is there a way you can simultaneously sell an ETF and then buy a stock you're looking at, or do you have to wait for ETF that I'm selling to close out for the day and then wait for the following day to buy the stock I want. Thank you. Bye. No, you can buy it, you know, uh, right away. If you sell an ETF or a mutual fund, you can buy the next uh, position immediately. There used to be, uh, and many, many still do, many of the custodians have a three-day waiting period. If you sold a stock, you got to wait three days before it clears, then you can use the money to buy something else. I don't know if that's true anymore. And I know TD Ameritrade is a custodian we use. We don't have to wait. So uh, it may depend on what kind, of cl- what kind of account you have. If you have a cash account or a margin account, you won't have to wait on a margin account, that's for sure. But a cash account, you might have to wait. I'm just not sure. One final question for the podcast. Hey, Steve. It's Nick from New York. I just had a question regarding your thoughts on the ARK ETFs by Kathy Wood. I know a lot of people uh, rate her highly, and personally, I'm in the ARK Internet ETF, A-R-K-K. I was just wondering what you thought about uh, those ETFs, how high they can go. I know their holdings are relatively heavy with growth stocks, so interested to hear what you have. Thank you. So ARK Innovation ETF, that's a R-K-K. They, uh, it's an ETF investing in stocks of companies engaged in life science, robotic energy storage, social media. So they're, you know, they have a very specific goal in mind. So you got to read that. You got to read that prospectus to know what they're investing in. And there's nothing wrong with investing in any of them. There is nothing wrong. Just make sure that what they're investing in and you can look up what they have is the stocks that you want to be part of because they're all going to be different areas of the market. And that's what the ETFs are doing these days. They're getting more and more, they're cutting up the market more and more bits to invest in. So, but so again, there's nothing wrong with them. I'm Steve Peasen. I thank you for listening to this special Invest Talk bonus podcast. Please tell your friends about our program and our website, investtalk.com. Remember our philosophy at KPP Financial, independent thinking, shared success. You can learn more about our unbiased guidance and the variety of our investing programs at investtalk.com that's i-n-v-e-s-t-t-a-l-k dot com 
Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.